Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand new 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Tired of companies like Google and Facebook watching everything you do online? There's actually a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more, all for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Bradford Show. That's my open? That's what they used to call me, Swivel Hit Bradford. That's my open. I'm okay. waiting for you to so justify what? your stupid opinion. Bradford Show. That's delicious. Episode 35 of Bradford Show. I've been negligent in this podcast this week. I apologize to all the fine folks out there who are just keep refreshing and refreshing and refreshing, hoping that another one is up. The last one was good. Tomasi... Uh, and I talking about clubhouse confrontations, which is always a good conversation. And speaking of clubhouse conversations, the man that uh, David Price went after is Tim Britton, Province Journal. He went after me? Oh, I don't know. It's, I figured it was one of, <laughs> one of, one of the writers there. Uh, Tim, Tim Britton, Province Journal, is joining us today uh, to talk about the best Red Sox bullpen in the history of the organization uh, as we sit here taping this podcast. And this is done, this bullpen achievement is done without the services of the guy that they thought was going to be the one who put them into a serviceable bullpen, which is Tyler Thornburg. Something happened to Tyler Thornburg today. What was that, Tim? Tyler Thornburg is going to have surgery tomorrow, Rob, on Friday for thoracic outlet syndrome. Oh, rolls off the tongue. And you know how they, have you been noticing that the, the Red Sox relievers put the high school pitchers? Uh, that you notice that they put the high school pitchers up in the bullpen behind <laughs> where they're supposed to sit. You know that? Yeah. So does Thornburg still get his pitcher up there? Has he had it up there yet? I don't know. <laughs> does Robbie Ross get his torn down? Yeah. Like, like do they sub them in and out when, when you get the, the roster moves? Cause there's like a bullpen move at least once a week, usually two or three you, times. You know what I did? If they had any sense of humor at all, I would, instead of the high school pitchers, I would put up the MRI uh, results. <laughs> Of every every single one of them. Well, that, that, I think that's private information, Ron. That, that's uh, you're, you're violating some are you principles like the there. Nesson, Nesson cameraman is going <laughs> to zoom in and say and, and violate HIPAA rules. Uh, you know, Buck Showalter's got access to those cameras in the visiting oh, dugout. So, oh, there you go. See, see, it's right there. It's right there. But it also it would be a little more transparent. And I think these days we want a little more transparency as we have sat here for three months trying to figure out what is wrong with Tyler Thornburg. That's a good pun on transparent with an MRI. 
Uh, yes, only you would know that. <laughs> anyway, uh, Tim Britton's with us, and we're going to talk all about the bullpen. We're going to do the wheel of surprises. So of all the uh, – we're going to spin the wheel, Tim, or even better, we'll give the power rankings of Tim Britton's surprises when it comes to the Red Sox bullpen because you go down the list, and, and everyone's a candidate for the biggest surprise. Everyone has the the um, the possibility of winning that $100 Ghoul's gift card for, for being the most surprising member of the Red Sox bullpen. That's that might we might actually have to take that away from the top media member of Boston Media and give it to the Red Sox bullpen because I feel like they're suffering so my, much. My feeling is that you have an unlimited supply of hundred dollar Goulds gift cards that you just like rain down on Boylston Street uh, at your whim on certain days of the week. I mean I'm not gonna say I can make it rain, yes. But uh listen, it's a, it's quite the aphrodisiac. <laughs> But I come in there, my wife, I said, honey, I know I'm away all the time, but look at what I'm supplying the family. $100 gift cards to Ghoul's Distinctive Clothing. Perfect I, perfect thing for her to buy you for Father's Day. Uh, <laughs> see? It's a circle of life. Anyway, Tim Brayton, Providence Journal. But before we get into our conversation and spin the wheel of bullpen surprises, we're going to first talk to the guy, one of our go-tos, Dr. Dan Quinn of Newton Wellesley Orthopedic Associates to tell us exactly what we're dealing with when it comes to Tyler Thornburg. Making another appearance on the Brad Pro Show, the guy that, one of the guys at Newton Wellesley Orthopedic Associates that we always turn to, Dr. Dan Quinn, uh, who, he's our fail-safe. He's the guy when we are really, really stupid about something, make us really, really smart. So, Dr. Quinn, how are you? Rob, I'm excellent. Thanks. And so the thing that's making us feel very, very stupid this time around, and I should note, Tim Britton's with me, and he got a perfect score on his SATs, and he even feels stupid about this, right, Tim? Yeah, there, there's no medical section to the SATs for a reason. <laughs> well, there should be. Uh, so the reason why we're a little uh, flummoxed by this topic is because it's we go through the Tommy John surgeries and the labrum surgeries and all of these, but every once in a while, this one comes up. Thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, I guess, is that correct? Am I saying that correct, number one? Yep. Dr. Quinn? Okay. Thoracic outlet syndrome. Is yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I guess the simplest way to do this is what the heck are we talking about? Well, uh, you're right. Uh, it's, it's not one of those typical injuries or, or conditions that you find uh, in anyone, uh, much less a, a, an elite athlete. But uh, essentially what this syndrome is, is a compressive syndrome uh, that occurs around the shoulder. It's in what's called the thoracic outlet. And um, the thoracic outlet basically contains a couple of structures, and the most important structures that we're talking about that can get compressed are the nerves that go to the shoulder and arm and the major blood vessels. Um, if either of these get compressed, then you can have a number of different symptoms, and uh, they, they range from numbness and tingling to pain to uh, swelling of the, of the arm to um, you know, lack of blood flow. Uh, to the arm. And these, these are the kind of things that, um, you know, they present and they often present only when the person is actually engaging in the activity uh, that causes the symptoms. So at rest, they're sitting comfortably and you, they, you wouldn't be able to tell if there was a problem. Is this... um, go, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, uh, so, so for pitchers, you know, with so many things that can go wrong in their shoulder, I mean, you, you, a lot of times what you're looking at is either the shoulder or the neck. Those are the two 
far more common problem sources. Um, and so you're thinking maybe it's a labral tear, maybe it's a rotator cuff tear, maybe they have some, you know, uh, a little bit of instability in the shoulder, you know, maybe there's a little bit of weakness or, or bursitis, something, those are, those are far more common. Um, and so when this, this sort of syndrome, you know, presents, a lot of times it's, it's far down the list of things you think it might be. Yeah, given that, is this something the the Red Sox or I mean, even us in the media, is this something we should have seen coming? Given that that Thornburg, you know, has been out with a shoulder impingement since late March, that they couldn't really get their finger on what was going on. That you know, is, is this something that the Red Sox could have seen earlier? Given that it, it's now a nine month recovery period for him. Yeah, no, I, I think uh, like I said, you probably you know, your top ten diagnoses have nothing to do with thoracic outlet syndrome and. Um, you know, there isn't, there isn't anybody out there who sees a lot of thoracic outlet syndrome. And it, it, there's not, it presents with so many different symptoms, like I was saying before, numbness and tingling, pain. It can present with headache even. Um, and there's not a specific test. You can't do an MRI. Say somebody says a rotator cuff. You can do an MRI, and there it is on the MRI. But for, for this, because it's sort of a dynamic process, something's getting pinched in a certain position that the arm is being held. Um, that's, that, that's kind of, uh, you know, it's hard to pin down and there are some physical exam tests that you can do. There are some nerve tests that you can do. There's some blood vessel tests that you can do, but they're just, they're not typical tests that you're going to order. Um, because you're going to be working up the much more common things first. You know, one of the questions when it comes to Thornburg was, this goes back to spring training. You got a lot of criticism because he said he was doing this new shoulder program and the new shoulder program was too strenuous and was that they had to shut him down because of that. Then he came back and then he pitched a little bit and then he was shelved. And now a couple months later, this is where we're at. My question is, does where we have land, where this has landed, does that have anything to do with the elbow issues that he had before the uh, something that something that he had to deal with before, where we've seen it time and time again, you overcompensate one area and you end up uh, injuring something else. Do you think that that might have been the situation here? You know, I, I think that's impossible to know. But as, as I'm sure you are well aware, uh, you and Tim, it, that uh, there, there probably isn't a single pitcher in major leagues that has a, a good, a perfect shoulder or elbow. In fact, they they very rarely. Uh, can one have an elbow problem and not a shoulder problem at the same time? Um, the the most common uh, cause for this thoracic outlet syndrome is is, a, is an anatomic predisposition with some kind of uh, trauma added on top of it. So if you think that you know the added trauma is you know the repetitive injury from from throwing so hard and maybe your mechanics change, maybe you can attribute it to that. But you know I think that's that's unmeasurable. You can't. You know, I, I, I'd be hard pressed to say, like, you know, there's a there's a direct there's a direct correlation, but uh, certainly, you know, when you see most uh, you know pitchers with shoulder elbow problems, you always have to take a look at the other joint to make sure that that one's working well too. You, you mentioned some of the other shoulder things you kind of run through first. You know, labrum tear, uh, bursitis. Where, where does this? Uh, I don't want to say rank, but in terms of severity for Thornburg, where you're thinking, you know, obviously out for this season, but trying to come back next year, uh, how, how severe is this compared to some of the, the injuries we're more used to seeing for pitchers? I think uh, in his favor, I think that if you can uh, eliminate the compressive syndrome, then he may be very well completely cured. Um, you know, he'll probably, it'll take, you know, six months for him probably to feel good enough to throw and then another six months to build his arm up. But uh you know, I certainly think there's plenty of optimism that uh, if this is, in fact, 
you know, what's going on and they do the procedure to decompress him, then, you know, once you take the pressure off the nerves and heal from the surgery, then it's a matter of building the arm back up. And, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, if uh, you know, shortly after surgery when he starts trying to throw again that, you know, he'll, he'll know pretty quickly that it solved the problem or didn't. Um, and if it is the, the source of the problem, he'll be able to throw. His, his shoulder will probably feel great. Now, when this first was surfaced today and we found out that, that Thornberg, this was going to be an issue for him, I immediately remembered, because this is what we do, we remember guys who have gone through it before. I remember Josh Beckett had uh, the same sort of thing. Daniel Bard had the same sort of thing. And the first thing I thought of, Doctor, was wasn't there something to do with a removal of a rib? Now, is there? am I wrong? Is there something to do with the removal of a rib in this situation? Uh, that was, I think, that was Adam that you referred oh, to. But, uh, see? After after that, it, there is in fact uh, a case of um, if uh, what one of the potential uh, compressing structures on what we were talking about is something called a cervical rib, and um, if there's an extra rib coming off of the the, the the spinal column, that can interfere with the nerves or blood vessels. So, uh, yeah, it's it, the compressive structure is typically either uh, a muscle called the scalene muscle or a cervical rib. Uh, it can be just a, 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 you know, something called a fascial band, which is just a soft tissue structure that's kind of firm and uh, you know, provides, you know, structural support for the whole shoulder. Um, you know, the pectoralis minor muscle, which is underneath pec major, that can sometimes uh, cause a little bit of the compression too. So, you know, you have to make sure that you, I guess you, uh, you fight, figure out which structures are actually involved in the compression um and you can diagnose these with uh you know with with imaging like an x-ray or a ct scan those are typically the ways you look for those ribs now now the history of guys coming back from this is a little spotty here and there rob mentioned beckett who came back and threw a no hitter but only pitched one more year i know chris carpenter from the cardinals really struggled coming back but we've seen other guys jaime garcia has come back and pitched pretty well since is there any benefit for thornburg being a younger guy Coming back from this is is that is it easier to do this at his age uh, than maybe in his in his thirties? Yeah, you know, younger guys always heal better. They've got a few more bullets left in the gun, so to speak, because a lot of you know what you know the, the mileage pitches put on their shoulders, you know, and and when their their shoulders finally break down, it has a lot to do with the number of pitches they throw, starting all the way back in little league. Um, but uh, again, some of these I, I don't I don't recall the, the specifics of those pitches, but certainly you know um, most of the thoracic outlet syndrome um, problems are caused with compression of the nerve. And so if you can relieve compression of the nerve, that's, you know, maybe, um, you know, you have to assume that the nerve will, will completely regenerate. I'm not sure. The vascular structures, those uh, occasionally probably are a little bit worse because you can have problems with blood flow and you can have problems with clotting. And sometimes there's some times when you have to, you know, uh, repair the, the, the vein or the, the artery, which... Um, you know, certainly doesn't sound like what uh, Thornburg is dealing with, but uh, th- those would certainly, to me, be you know more apt to run into problems after surgery when you're trying to throw a baseball 95 miles an hour. Doctor Dan Quinn, you've done it again. You've made us much, much more intelligent human beings. So uh, it's a, we it's always appreciated, but it's a pre- it's really appreciated this time because, like I said, this is something that we just haven't seen come around. A whole lot, and it's not the Tommy Johns, and it's not the Labrams. This is something we had to dig in a little bit deeper, and you did. You helped us do exactly that. So thanks so much. You're welcome. It was a lot of hard work to bring you guys up to speed. I know. <laughs> you, you you aren't the first person who said that, and won't be the last. Thanks, Doctor Quinn. Thank you. You're welcome, Rob. You're welcome, Tim.
sticker. Well, as always, good stuff from Dr. Quinn, Tim. Uh, do you feel more intelligent, smarter? How often do you think he gets the medicine woman joke? Uh, it's, I know. Oh, I can like, like, I mean, I had to resist it because I felt like he. it's probably like a part of his daily life. So here's the thing. Like he's, I know he's been in the podcast before. We have a relationship with NWOA. He's a great guy. See, I've seen. I think I've seen him at Red Sox games. And you want to call him Dan, right? Yeah, I don't think he's like twenty years old, but uh, he's not an old guy. He's not like my dad. I don't have to call him Mister. And so, but you still, once you have Doctor, you have to call the guy Doctor, right? Until until he says, "Don't call me Doctor." But I don't think doctors ever want you not to call them doctor. And that, that's like legit doctor. That's not like your dentist. That's not and that's not someone who went to, <laughs> to medical DDS. school for a little bit. Not someone who got their like doctorate in theology or something. You know, that's isn't that weird though? Like, is I've always found that interesting because doctors earn that right to be called doctors. It's the old Seinfeld episode. I knew once I became a doctor that I was going to get far, someone far better looking than you. <laughs> um, but doctors, when you get that doctor. You were hanging on to that doctor, and I guess rightfully so. It's like you have 18 years of schooling. Uh, you put in the work. You earn that. Yeah. You earn those two letters. <laughs> yeah. And sports writers, no. It's not really. Yeah, we, we don't get to throw Esquire onto the end of our name or anything like that. I, I, and, and especially now, where you, don't, you basically don't even have to go to school. <laughs> you don't, I mean, you don't, you don't have to go past fifth grade. Yeah, new, newspapers are drafting kids out of high school these days. Yeah, as long as you can do a GIF and a blog. You're on your way. So anyway, the wheel, as promised, the wheel of bullpen surprises. Let's spin it. All right, Tim. This, it, where's it going to land on? If you could, because this is a terrible, this is a terrible construct because it really should be power rankings. <laughs> but I had the, I had the wheel uh, sound effect in, in the hopper. So I just feel like this is the time to break it out. So let's just say that your number one, uh, Tim Britton, surprise of the Red Sox bullpen lands exactly where you want it. Where would it be? Who is the number one surprise? I think I think I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to go with Craig Kimbrell being uh, it's not this surprise. good. I mean, you talk about a lot of guys have kind of outperformed a, a, by a little bit what we thought they could be. Uh, Kimbrell, you had basically two straight years of declining performance, uh, and then he's come back this year and been uh, as good as anyone in baseball. You know, he's already worth more in terms of wins above replacement than he was last year. He's already at two, which is insane for a reliever at this point in the season. Uh, so he, he's been uh, as dominant as we've seen a closer be, not just in Boston, but really across the league for some time. You know, this goes back to when Koji Uehara was retiring, yeah. 30-something well, straight guys. Like, I remember, yeah, I remember looking at Koji, and when he was on that run, people forget what type of run he was on. It matched up with Mariano. I mean, it really did. And now we're saying, sitting here, and it's the same sort of thing. Have you looked at... The strikeout. I know Koji struck a crap load of guys out. It, it was not run. this many. It wasn't. It, was, this it many. wasn't this many. I mean, like, and Koji when he got his strikeouts, it was like three pitches. So, so Kimbrel sometimes takes a fourth or fifth pitch. Uh, but the the other thing that I think separates him a little bit from Uahar at this point uh, is that he's able to pitch a little bit more often, uh, and he's able to go you know more than one inning in a way that Uahar wasn't. We've seen him used, I think, five times hmm. for more than three outs. It's probably an unsustainable pace for him. He's on pace to throw more than seventy innings, which he hasn't done since twenty eleven. Uh, but this is a guy who they're, they're using him more aggressively than they've used any closer in the past, and he's, he's answering the bell each and every well, time for him. you know, and I know that I get to, into, into it with Lou Maloney on Twitter, um, passive-aggressively every once in a while about this, but coming off the, oh, look at you're burning him out, you're burning him out, 
And and I go back to I have no problem with the way that John Farrell's using Kimbrell um, most of the time. Like I think the Yankees when he brought him to the Yankees game to face Didi Gregorius and that I'm going to get that extra out in the eighth inning. Why bother? It's Didi Gregorius. Like I it's, I I. I'll take my chances with Matt Barnes. I'll take my chances with, with Robbie Scott, whoever. But but most of the time, I have no problem with that at all. As long as, as I think Farrell said after that game, as long as you have enough time before and you have enough time after the rest. And I don't know how you feel about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Kimbrell is a guy who is more, more so than most relievers even has been bred to be a closer. He's a guy who, once he was drafted, you know, he was a closer his second year in junior college. Uh, once he was drafted, it was to be a closer. The, the Braves used him almost exclusively in that role. Even in the major leagues, like he's barely ever pitched in the seventh inning because he got called up and was the closer within like a month in Atlanta. Uh, so he's not used to it as much as, you know, a guy like Andrew Miller who's bounced around would be uh, in terms of coming in earlier in games. So that's why it's so important to say, you know, the sixth or seventh inning you call down and you say, if we're at this spot in the lineup in the eighth, we want you ready for that spot. And so as, as long as you communicate it enough in advance, if he's coming off a day or two of rest, uh, you give him a day after yeah. if he goes four outs. Uh, I think I think you can manage it. The the trade-off is that you say, well, what's better, to use him for an inning two straight days or use him for four or five outs tonight and not have him the well, next night? Well, yeah, and, and the, the problem with that Yankees game also was that whole week you used him a ton, right? So that if you're going to pick one time where of all the times they brought in the eighth inning, that was really the only time I had any sort of issue. But, um, yeah, and, and, and then you talk about you know, the workload and pitches and is he going to be able to sustain this? Well, he bent. I know he benches. I don't know what he does after game. He takes forever. He like goes and lifts. Like, it's it's bizarre, right? And it's, yeah, I mean, I mean Papelbon took a long time. Yeah, you hard did his workout, but it, it didn't seem quite as uh, thorough as Kimball's workout. I, I just feel like I just feel like he's back there, like bench pressing, like like you know Hanley sitting there, <laughs> like come on, come on, one more, one more. I don't know. I did, it's it's kind of the vibe I get. I don't feel like there's a lot of rubber bands happening. Yeah, I don't think he's a resistance workout no. guy. He's not. I don't. I don't know that he's doing the Chris Sale Pilates. Yeah, he's only the, the Pilates machine is still folded up by the time he finishes. So anyway, uh, there was something I was going to bring up about Kimbrel, but I totally forgot what it was. Anyway, this spin the wheel again. And it's landing on Tim Britton's second big surprise, which is what? Oh, I, I, I thought you were picking this one. Uh, nah, I'll, I'll, say the, I'll, the, I'll keep refuting the ones <laughs> that you pick. The, the second big surprise, I'd say, is probably Robbie Scott being this good as your lefty specialist. Uh, and, and I know they haven't used him uh, quite. I mean, he's been in a lot of games, but in terms of innings pitched, he hasn't been up there really. Uh, but he's been about as good as you could expect any lefty specialist to be. Uh, and this is the guy who, you know, you think back to spring training. He was supposed to be on the I-95 corridor yeah. all year long. If, if he was not supposed to be on the opening day roster. No. He was supposed to be the guy who got called up last night to help out just in case anything <laughs> happened uh, to Brian Johnson. He was, no, he was Noe Ramirez. He was a left-handed Noe Ramirez. Exactly. Right? Which, you know, on a bullpen that had two lefties in front of him and a rotation that had so many lefties, you figured probably wouldn't be that valuable. But he's obviously, he's surpassed or How bypassed. How did Noe Ramirez get bypassed this time around, by the way? He pitched the day before. He pitched two oh, innings and a doubleheader. So. Sad trombone for yeah. Noe. How many times? Did you say you you you, you refuted my uh, math? I believe he's gone up and down nine or ten times. Okay, so. uh, which I, I know last year was the record. He said we, but, we talked about how to drive back and forth from, oh. from Fenway to, to McCoy. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Uh, uh, so, so there Scott, goes your journalistic integrity. <laughs> um, but to go back to Scott, and, and also we can't forget he can get right-handed hitters out. 
This is another thing I argue with Lou about, which is he's like, well, look at his arm slot. It it plays right into right-handed hitters. I'm like, so my immediate response was, well, it isn't doesn't your boy Brad Ziegler, isn't that exactly what happens with left-handers? I'm not arguing that. It's easier to hit if you're a right-handed. Hey, Robbie Scott's coming at you with that sidearm delivery, but he has shown the ability, some more ability than I think we thought, to get right-handed hitters out, right? Yeah, I mean, he's been better against righties than we saw Fernando Abad last year or Tommy Lane last year, the last couple of years when he was with the team. And you remember, Scott's not a guy who was bred as a lefty specialist. He came up, he was a starter for a while. Uh, he was a swingman in Pawtucket. Even last year, he was a guy who made four-inning appearances a fair amount in AAA. So he's used to facing right-handers. Let's be honest, they didn't care about him. Right, I mean, he, yeah, he was the, the you know, you've got a doubleheader. Uh, you're starting Henry Owens in the opener. You know, let's throw Robbie Scott out there yeah. for the nightcap to eat some innings. And for Brian Abraham, the assistant farm director, yes, I understand. You care about all your players, but you know what I mean. You did, you did not prioritize uh, not running this guy. This was basically like, who was the guy in the 2008 All-Star game? George Sherrill. George Sherrill. He was the George Sherrill 2008 All-Star game uh, version of, of that whole thing, which here's three innings. You got to get us through. I don't care if you blow out your career. It, it, I don't care that you're in our division. <laughs> your career might blow out. <laughs> that was such a good all star. Um, all right. So you have Kimball number one, Robbie Scott number two. And the reason, like, I rather just sort of debate with what you're saying because I think all of these guys could, you can move them up and down and all around when it comes to this conversation. So uh, I will uh, maybe at the end I'll give you my list, but until then we'll spin the wheel once again. All right, number three, Tim. Uh, I think I'd go Heath Hembry uh, as a guy who, mm. and I think the overall numbers don't play out how well he's pitched in the games that matter. Which is to say, I think his ERA isn't like three seven or something. But if you look at the individual outings. All of the bad ones have basically been he's come in in a two-run game and he's left it as a five- or six-run game, which, you know, obviously not ideal, but certainly better than coming in in a two-run lead uh, and leaving it uh, in a two-run deficit. So I think in high-leverage spots, he's been very good overall. The ERA's won something in those spots. So as a guy who, who you know, was probably going to be your seventh reliever when you're thinking in spring training, you know, the last guy who would be your swing man at times, pitch the fourth or fifth inning, uh, if you needed a guy when, when Pomeranz goes short or something like that. Uh, he's been a guy who's pitched in the 7th and 8th inning of, of close games from the right side and been pretty effective against lefties compared to where he was he last year. He needs a rest. I mean, they, I don't think he can do this an entire year. This is no knock on him, but, I mean, this is the guy that you you keep saying, oh, my goodness, again? Oh, my goodness, again? Because he's the failsafe. He's the failsafe. He's the sixth inning guy. He's the seventh inning guy. He's the guy where you're ahead, where you're behind. He's not as defined as some of these other guys. And I just, I can't imagine. I got to look up like what his biggest workload. Have you looked up his biggest workload? I looked it up on Tuesday. It's uh, something like sixty-three innings in a professional yeah, season. So he's he's on pace. He's on pace for be. for seventy plus. He's on yeah. pace for 70, 70 plus appearances. And you mentioned that the thing that a lot of fans don't realize about these guys in the workload is all the times you're warming up and you don't get in a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I haven't been able to track it, but I would assume he leads the team in you know the dreaded dry humps, uh, which mm-hmm. is you get up in the third inning because David Price is struggling in the third, uh, and he gets through six all of a sudden, uh, and then you might pitch in the seventh you know four innings after you started getting warm uh that really wears on a guy over time 
I mean, we can talk about uh, whether any of these guys can sustain this for as long for the rest of the season because you've got you know Kimbrell I mentioned is on pace for more than he's thrown in, in six years. Embry's on pace for a career high. Barnes and Kelly are guys who you know are converted starters, so you believe in the innings. But we saw with Kelly that they're being cautious with using him on consecutive days uh, in a way that you wouldn't with your normal relievers. You don't think you're going to get by without me saying you never want to lead the league in dry humps, right? <laughs> <laughs> you, you never thought you, is that on your on your podcast? Would you ever say you ever get that spicy to say dry humps? Yeah. I think we've said dry humps. Oh, really? Okay. I always I, I got to get this right. I didn't even promote your podcast, Super Two Podcast. Uh, you can get it on iTunes. Yeah, it's actually under the Providence Journal Sports Podcast on on iTunes, and oh. we changed it to much to fans' dismay. But we rec- Brian and I recorded one earlier today. Oh, you so, did. What yeah. was it about? Bullpens. Pablo Sandoval, mainly. This was pre-Thornburg news, so that's what uh, happens when you record in the saying, morning. And you said, I really look forward to Tyler Thornburg's return in a couple of weeks, right? <laughs> I said, I think he'll be back on Friday. No, no, no qualms whatsoever. Have you had any pushback or any uh, people getting confused with the Two Outs podcast? Uh, not yet. I don't think that's really making a mark in the Boston market. <laughs> oh, really? Oh, wow. Ooh. Or vice versa. Who knows? Ooh. Save that. Save that one, Renee. Uh, and I don't think the demographic, the crossover is there either. Maybe. I mean, those are baseball guys, Reber and Buck. So I don't know. I think maybe you should do a joint podcast. The super two outs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, you know, there's a lot of tension there. I've noticed it. I've, I want to bring, I'm like Jimmy Carter, Jimmy Carter brokered peace between, oh, yeah. uh, yes. Um, <laughs> so anyway, uh, okay. So we got Kimbrell. We got Robbie Scott. We got Heath Hembry. Let's spin the wheel again. Who's number four, Tim? I guess you go with Barnes uh, in the sense that he's... Oh, really? You surprised me with that one. I mean, Barnes has been good. He's been a little bit better than I expected, uh, but he's been doing it in a role that I didn't expect. You know, I thought he'd be the seventh inning guy. Not even the seventh inning guy, kind of the backup seventh inning guy with Kelly in the seventh. Thornburg in the eighth. Carson Smith. Uh, you know, Thornburg and Carson Smith in the eighth, yeah. Kimbrell in the ninth. Uh, but he's been the eighth inning guy for pretty much the entire season by the, at this point uh, and has done a pretty good job with it. it it's not a shutdown, easy inning, time in and time out. Uh, but uh, compared to expectations, if you went into the season and said Matt Barnes is going to be their eighth inning guy for the first two and a half months, how do you think this bullpen looks? Uh, I certainly wouldn't have well, said that. Well, yeah, that's why we're sitting here doing this. I mean, this is the reason this bullpen podcast that's being done isn't because they have a good bullpen they have an unbelievable bullpen and it's still and it's weird Tim because it still doesn't feel that way and I think that Barnes is the perfect guy to sort of the poster boy of why it doesn't feel that way like I I know he's having a good year but it doesn't feel like when he's coming in the game that that's there's your lockdown anything inning guy there's your what Tyler Thornburg or there's what Carson Smith was supposed to be when they acquired him and um, and, and here's what I'll ask you. you. Okay, you identified Matt Barnes over Joe Kelly. I, I am still a little surprised that they feel that way, that forget about us, that John Farrell feels that way about prioritizing Barnes over Kelly as well as Kelly is pitched. Yeah, and like – Kelly's success has not surprised me that much. It's, it's actually been in a, of a different fashion than I expected because he isn't striking guys out the way he was uh, the final, you know, September and October of last year when uh, I think you named him ALDS losing MVP at he some was. point. Uh, I mean, you know, that I, very I, official... irrefutable. Did he get a $100 gift card to Gould's distinctive <laughs> he, clothing for he that? He got a t-shirt and some nice slacks. <laughs> 
so, so Kelly's pitched about what I expected. Maybe a little bit better, more consistent than I thought. Uh, and, but, you know, not striking, not as dominant as I would have thought coming into the season. But it does seem like they're a little bit reticent to give him the opportunity as the eighth inning guy. And maybe it goes back to uh, they don't feel comfortable using him day in and day out the way they do with Barnes because Barnes now has that year of experience under his belt from last season. Uh, but, you know, maybe they burn him out again the way they did. You know, last August, Barnes had a really tough month. I just because don't, of that. I don't feel so. like this. I think the, the benefit of the doubt of trust with Kelly is just he still has a ways to go. And I think even going back to last September, when even when he was pitching well and Barnes was pitching terribly, there was, who's your eighth inning guy? It's Matt Barnes. I just don't feel like they they are completely sold. Maybe there are now, by now, but the process to get there took a lot longer and a lot more from Joe Kelly to get there than maybe some of these, than it did for Matt Barnes. Yeah, like, and I, I mean, I was surprised coming out of spring training that Barnes was the eighth inning guy over Kelly at that point because certainly Kelly didn't have a great spring training. Well, at the end, but, he was bad. Uh, yeah. it, it didn't seem like enough to merit a demotion in the wake of Thornburg's injury. You know, we had heard for a while and that, that was Kelly out of was the other guy. too, right? I mean, that was literally, going to the last week of spring training, Kelly was the eighth inning guy. He had a bad, couple of bad outings. And then who's your eighth inning guy? And it's it's sort of Matt Barnes. Yeah, I mean, I remember the last week of spring, the, the day Thornburg went on the DL, that we were in Bradenton. Uh, and then that night I talked to Joe Kelly after the game to write my story the next day about here's the new eighth inning guy. <laughs> and then three days later, he was no longer well, the eighth inning about, guy. And also, not only was he the eighth inning guy, but he was the guy who was sort of, you're losing by three runs in the sixth inning. You know, he was three or four runs in the sixth inning. He was demoted way down the list because let's go back to the beginning of the season. And this is one of the things I think John Farrell deserves some credit for, which is you had this mishmash of guys and you were able to, to sort it out by matching up and, and identifying who fit where a lot earlier than I think a lot of people thought was going to be the case because we thought, all right, Matt Barnes, uh, you had Robbie Ross in there. I think they were counting on him to be seventh inning. But even he had a terrible spring training. He didn't look the same. Um, who else was in there? He, they, I'll give Farrell credit for this. He was on the Robbie Scott train early, early. I mean, before probably the rest of us. Right? Yeah, but, I mean, Scott didn't have an outstanding spring training. Yeah. He, I think the ERA was something like zero, but he gave up like two base runners per inning uh, and got out of those jams. And he's just carried that over into the regular season where he gets out of other people's jams now for them. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, basically passed Ross and Abad in spring uh, when we weren't looking. Who am I forgetting? Anyone? I mean, I know they, they came out of spring training. It was pretty much the same guys. And you had Fernando Abad who didn't pitch for like a month into the season. Um, but Kelly, like I said, he was pushed down. Robbie Ross was pushed up. Henry was maybe considered like that other eighth inning guy a little bit. And now he's sort of the jack of all trades. But, and we haven't even talked about the, okay, Thornburg, even with Thornburg, and we found out Thornburg's out for the year. Thornburg was a guy, even at the beginning of the season, was, oh, okay, he'll be back in a couple weeks, maybe a month, right? Yeah, you know, maybe. May to mid-May, something like yeah. that. Like, you, you thought he certainly was going to be back before David Price, let alone Carson Smith. <laughs> well, and, and then, you know, at the one point, I think they were sort of linked together, him and Carson Smith. Oh, they, they both threw together. They both threw the same distance together. They're both trending the same way. And then it just, oh, Carson Smith is, by the way, throwing off a mound. And Tyler Thornburg, oh, no, he's throwing it 90 feet for the 50th consecutive day. It was bizarre, but certainly I think they were counting on, even at the beginning of the year, counting on Thornburg by the time you hit the middle of June to be something, right? Yeah, and, and that's when, you know, you feel a little bit more comfortable going to guys like Barnes and Hembree as often as they have early in the season, even Kimbrell for extra outs 
if you think you're going to have help in the second half in the form of Thornburg and Smith, uh, and now you're not as sure, you, you've lost one of those guys for good, and Smith is a guy who's still coming off a, a year and a half of not pitching, you don't know if he can be an, no, an everyday guy. Like, this, how often can he yeah, throw? Yeah, I mean, this back? whole Carson Smith makes me thing makes me uncomfortable. It does because, and we're going to find out more. I know he's getting checked out on Friday, and he possibly still could pitch in Pawtucket this weekend, I guess. But let's say he does. Let's say he checks out okay. He comes back. Like, if people are expecting him to do anything. It, it, you you can't, you you have that has to be the ultimate ease in, and this is where you might get in a little bit of trouble because if he pitches well the first time, you know the manager is oh well you know he's pitching well the first time he can pitch well the second time and the third time, it's a it's a dicey situation I think. Yeah, I think you've got to look at him as icing on the cake. You look at another guy who's who's coming back from Tommy John and Carter Caps in yeah. San Diego. Carter Caps started his rehab assignment in April. Yeah, he's still he just got taken off his rehab assignment and optioned to AAA because he's not ready yet. No. So you know, you've got 60 days rehab as a Tommy John guy. That's new this year instead of 30. And Carter Capps exhausted the 60 days and still isn't ready. So that just tells you like this is not we got used to the 10 to 12 month return time period for, for guys with Tommy John. And it seems like now teams are being a, a little bit more conservative, taking kind of the John Lackey approach, which is you, you have it done at the end of the season. You get the full 18 months. Yeah. Uh, you know. We're seeing guys go 14 months, 15 months, a little bit more consistently, uh, and the results have been better when they do come back. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He pitches in Pawtucket. Everyone's like, oh, well, it's going to be like David Price. He's going to pitch a couple times and then come back. No, they should take their time. If you want an all-star break, if you want August, it doesn't make a difference because guess what? They're managing without him. And, And the most important thing, here's maybe how you look at the Carson Smith situation, is trade deadline. Find out what he is by the time you have to make a move. Right? Yeah. Find out what what you can trust him for yes. uh, by July 31st, whether you need another guy or, or whether you're good with what you've got. Uh, should we spin the wheel again or have we exhausted all the options? I, I'll spin the wheel again because even if you can't think of one, because you already mentioned Joe Kelly. Would Joe yeah, Kelly we, be we, the one? Next I, one? Mean, I mean, can we go surprises in a negative direction? Uh... I mean, is it Robbie Ross? Yeah, because it, it's that Ross That wasn't been... a surprise for me. I'll be honest with you as I turn my nose up at you. It would be my sixth surprise out of a group of seven guys. <laughs> I, think you're, I think you're rating your, your surprises far far too inadequately. Um, no, it's. Uh, I think that I looked at him in spring training and immediately, and I, they kept saying, well, you're easing in, you're easing in. But toward the end, you still weren't easing in, and the velocity wasn't there. Now, I know he got his velocity up a little bit, but when he was really good last year, he was like out of nowhere 95. And and I got to imagine that had something to do with him being really good. Probably, yeah. Velocity generally has a, a, a strong relationship to how well a pitcher know. pitches. Joe Kelly dialed it back in St. Louis. It was magical. <laughs> um, how about, okay, so here's a surprise. Here's uh, the guys who have been up and down, and we talk about this bullpen, how good it has been, and as, as we sit here over 20 innings without giving up a run. But guys who have called up, like, the Ben Taylors of the world, um, most recently, Velasquez going out and, and, I mean, saving them. That doesn't happen a lot, you know, where guys are called up and they just kind of pick up the slack and keep doing what you're doing, which is so important because because they can't keep running these guys out like they have it. They have, oh, we forgot a guy. We totally forgot a guy. We have forgotten a guy who probably should be in the top four. Don't you think so? Are you, are you talking about a bod? No. Blaine Boyer. 
Oh, that's right. Yeah. Blaine Boyer has to be in the top four, doesn't he? I mean, Blaine Boyer, it's been interesting to watch because it's, it's kind of, I mean, he's a guy who's, who's succeeded despite like never striking anyone out in the, the past couple of years. Uh, and now I think his whip is like 1-7 and his ERA is like 2-4. So we'll see how long it lasts. I'm not, I'm not on the, uh, the Blaine wagon, uh, so to speak, about him getting uh, you know, seventh and eighth inning looks that much more consistently. But in terms of a veteran eating innings and being that extra right-hander that they've needed, he, he's he fit the bill so he far. He Brandon Workman. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously he's still here in a way. No, I know. I know. But it mean, like this, it didn't, I'll be honest. I, it made me a little uncomfortable how much Farrell had fallen in love with him out of the gate. I mean, this, he was putting him in semi important spots and you're like Blaine Boyer. Really? I thought he was just the guy. This is, he was like the Kyle Kendrick of the bullpen. Yeah, you know, the guy who'd come in, in in the Velasquez spot last night and give you as much as he could and then get sent down the next day. Yeah, so we, we totally forgot about Blaine Boyer. I mean, really, if I sat here on April 1st, <laughs> it would not be a surprise that we forgot about Blaine Boyer. Yeah, I don't, I don't think he was in the organization think, at that point. Do you think, so when we, get to, when we get to August 1st, do you think, I'll ask this question first of you, Tim Britton, do you think they'll make a move for a relief pitcher? Yes, because everyone makes both relief pitchers. Uh, yeah, like, uh, and is, if the follow up is like, what type of relief pitcher? I think they make a move for. Uh, I think a guy they might see tonight in Pat Neshek is the kind of guy you're looking at. Uh, a guy who serves a, a, a very specific role, you know, basically the Brad Ziegler role against right-handers, who's mm-hmm. having might be an all-star this year based off how he's pitching. His ERA is under one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is a guy that the Phillies. I don't think they're going to be asking for a huge amount back. He's a guy they didn't trade a whole lot for last year so you probably don't have to give up you know a, a top 10 prospect you don't have any more basabe brothers to trade no. uh for a reliever no but, but it, it might be a guy that that fits into the seventh inning yeah and that's why i don't know what you talked about on your super two podcast but I mean, this is the thing is that you're not and Din, uh, dave dombrowski has said this you're running out of guys so you're talking about aaron hill trades brad ziegler trades i mean to me the brad ziegler trade last year was the, his best trade. It was his best trade. Oh, yeah, by far. Like, there, yeah. there's no complaints about that trade whatsoever. Yeah, but that's the sort of guys that you're going to be giving up, like you said, the Basabi brothers. But if you, so if you get to uh, the trade deadline, if you're going to take out, you can take out a Blaine Boyer. Sorry, Blaine Boyer, but you can take out a Blaine Boyer, and I would replace him with a guy, whether you want to say righty specialist or a guy, your guy, Burke Badenhoff, put the ball on the ground. <laughs> get the double play. But that's, there is, that is a legitimate weapon. Right, that is that is even if it's for one batter, you need that guy. Is to me for the end of the bullpen, it's worth carrying that guy. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at, you know, at what Badenhop did here, like Seth Manis for all those years in St. Louis. Maybe he's a, I don't I don't know what his status is with the Royals. If he's a guy who might be dealt, but uh, yeah, that that guy is is really useful for for teams uh, in the later innings. Anything else surprise you about this bullpen? Well, if you extend it to the minor leagues. Uh, I, you're looking at me askew. Uh, Far- you know, Farrell loved those guys. Yeah, as soon as you said that, I don't know why Pat Light came into my head. I don't know why. <laughs> you mentioned Ben Taylor, but Farrell loved the the job that guys like Taylor, Austin Maddox, who just got called up uh, today, Jamie Callahan, uh, and those guys did in spring training. And you you've liked that they've carried it over into the regular season. Those guys, those guys have been moved up to triple a, uh, in, in the case of, of Callahan and, and Ty Buttry, who was a, a pretty mm-hmm. big, he was the Alex Scherf of a couple of years ago in terms of a draft Ooh, pick whoa. that they signed to a big bonus. How did he do? <laughs> and, and has been moved to the bullpen, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but has pitched well this year and looks like a guy who might be able to, to do something for you. So that gives you hope, not just for the bullpen this year, but if you're looking longer term, you've got some options from the right side, uh, that maybe these guys can, 
can be good for you next year, be the next line of, of Barnes and Embry. I think that if you talk about, and I approached this, I don't know, a month and a half ago because I was sitting around just thinking about it, about MVP, and I'll come back to your number one guy, your number one surprise, Craig Kimbrell, and we can talk about the entire bullpen. It, they, right now, they all fit. They all have their, their spots, and, and they're sort of defining it as they go. But this whole thing is based on Kimbrell. If Kimbrell gets hurt, it's a it's a mediocre to less than mediocre bullpen, I think, because you just don't have that guy. I, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Barnes or Kelly emerge could emerge into a closer. I don't know. But Kimbrell's the guy that makes this whole thing work, and, and not only makes it work because he's great in the ninth inning, but makes it work. Listen, let's be honest. They've been able to sort through – some of these games and get through some of these games because Kimbrell has done what he's done in the eighth inning. I mean, Kimbrell is the straw that stirs a drink to him. And, and you can sell out to get to him because you, you're not worried about, oh, we need to have someone behind him in case something happens. You know, you can, you can use your guys and sell out with them knowing you get to the ninth inning. You, know, you only need Kurt Kimball for, for three or four outs. You're, you're pretty much good to go. So I didn't pay off my tease of why I was sitting around just thinking about this. I was sitting around thinking about it because I was thinking, is this the MVP of the team? And people, and I was thinking it was a day that Craig, Chris Sale pitched. So, like, of course, no one's, everyone's, 80% of the people on the Twitter poll said Chris Sale. But I could make this very strong argument that Craig Kimbrell is more important than Chris Sale. I'll make it. Challenge me? Dare me? Sure, go ahead. He, he's more important than, <laughs> than Chris Sale. Chris Sale gets hurt. If you get other guys, they have potentially other guys who can step up and be even Eduardo Rodriguez and David Price and Rick Porcello. And to a certain extent, Drew Pomerantz, um, you guys, guys, who can step up, not be Chris Sale, but pick up that slack where I don't think they have that guy who's going to be Chris, Craig Kimbrell. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to argue that Kimbrell's been really valuable. I, I still think Sale's been more valuable for a rotation that has struggled to eat innings at times uh, that you know, you know, in the same way that you can sell out because Kimbrell's going to protect you in the ninth. You know the day before, the day after Sale pitches, that you can use your bullpen a little bit more aggressively because he's going to give you you know, six and most likely seven plus uh, when he goes out there. I, he hasn't pitched awesome since April. He, he's, yeah, he's taken a, well, a step back. That's sort of why, why uh, I even brought up that argument now. But they, they are still winning every time he pitches. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sold on my whole Craig Kimbrell's the MVP. <laughs> but I, I think it's a good conversation anyway. I think it's worthy. That's how good a year. You would never say that about a, a closer compared to a, one of the best starters in the American League. But that's how he, important he is. Um, so my last question to you, Tim Britton, um, is besides uh, – well, I get – first, which question do you want, the baseball question or the high school yearbook question? We'll start with the baseball question. All right, the baseball question is, are they going to be able to do this? Are they? Because one of the things that we keep bringing up, they just can't keep doing this. They can't keep doing this because, as you said, the starters, a lot of the starters aren't going very long. You're using Hembry a lot in this sixth inning. Are they going to, in your opinion, are they going to be able to keep doing this? I don't think they'll be able to keep doing this, which is what a two two five ERA or better than that mm-hmm. uh, at this stage of the season. I think you know I don't think we'll see what we saw last uh, late July and early August when uh, it was a tire fire every night mm-hmm. uh, out out of that bullpen that they were really trying to piece together uh, the eighth inning on a nightly basis. He didn't know who was going to come out when the door opened, uh, but I. I so I, I don't think they'll be as good as they are now. I don't think they'll be as bad as that. Uh, I think it, they probably will need some shoring up in July. I think we'll spend a lot of time in July talking about relief pitching because we do that every year, yeah. pretty much regardless of how the bullpen is. But I think this one will probably need that, that little extra kick, whether it's Carson Smith. 
Keep your car looking its absolute best year-round with 303 Cleaners and Protectants. 303's revolutionary graphene nanospray coating gives you professional protection in a simple, easy-to-use formula. It will keep your car's paint protected for up to 12 months and give an insane level of depth and gloss. You can also use their brand-new 303 graphene detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine throughout the year. It can even be used for quick cleanups of light dust and fingerprints in between washes. For a one-two punch to keep your car licking its best, look no further than 303's line of graphene products. 303 Graphene Nano Spray Coating to protect and 303 Graphene Detailer to boost protection, slickness, and shine. Both products are available now at Advanced Auto Parts, AutoZone, and select Walmart locations. Visit 303radio.com for more information. Every search you make, every click you take, they'll be watching you. Are you tired of being tracked online? There's a simple solution. DuckDuckGo. It's an all-in-one privacy app with a built-in private search engine, web browser, one-click data clearing, email protection, and more. All for free. Download the app today and get the most comprehensive privacy protection with the push of a button. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. We all remember that one professor, the one everyone on campus had to take no matter what subject they taught because how much fun their class was. What if we told you there was a streaming service that had all those professors? One Day University has every must-have professor from the best colleges all across the country. One Day University, the most fun talks from the most fun professors. Available live and on demand. No homework, just the most fun you'll have while learning. Get a special offer at onedayu.com slash odyssey.